Amen. You may be seated. We are going to dismiss our children downstairs. A little bit late this morning, maybe a little bit shorter. Lord willing. What are you laughing at? Pretty awesome stuff, huh? To witness that kind of life change in the context of the church is just a wonderful thing. I appreciate all of you here who are willing to share that uh, with us this morning. Uh, so today is uh, the beginning of what the church has traditionally called Holy Week. Uh, it's a sacred week, a week that is set aside, that is unique. It's different than any other week. In many ways, we should live every week with these events in mind. But yet there's still something rich and significant. And so we turn our attention today to a particular moment in Holy Week called Palm Sunday. The day in which we understand and remember what the Gospels have, well, we've called the triumphal entry. And so today I want to open up to Matthew 21. Just going to dive right in this morning. Matthew chapter 21 verses 1 through 11. The triumphal entry, Palm Sunday. It's my hope that each and every one of us here today would have a clear understanding about what the Bible teaches about Jesus, who he is. And so we turn our attention here now. Matthew 21, verses 1 through 11. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, the Mount of Olives, Then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, Your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. This is indeed the word of the Lord. And all God's people said, Amen. Who is Jesus? A lot of opinions about that simple yet very important question in our world today. Some might say that Jesus is a man who lived a long time ago and died. Some might say that Jesus is a legend, a fable, a folktale. Often you'll hear that Jesus 
was indeed a good teacher. If you've been to a Christian bookstore at any moment, you might see one of those bracelets that say WWJD. What would Jesus do? Pointing out that they see Jesus as an ethical example. What do we do in certain situations? That's what Jesus is. He's an example that we're to live by in certain ethical situations. Some might say that he's one of the many gods at the buffet table of religion. He's one that you might be picking and worshiping for yourself. But others may not necessarily, and that's okay. Some might say that. Some might say, uh, putting it as negative as possible, that Jesus is simply a crutch for weak people. Who is Jesus, really? What does the Bible say about Jesus? Who is he, really? We see that's the question at the end of the passage. It may seem odd to start a sermon at the end of the scripture passage, but I just want to point out clearly what is being talked about here for all of us this morning. The question is raised, who is this, really? In all the the hua of what's taken place, of all these details and events, who is this? And you see that they have an answer. The crowd say, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. The first thing that we notice about that answer is that it's true. This is Jesus. Jesus is a prophet. He's a man who speaks on behalf of God. Jesus is indeed from Nazareth. And he was often from uh, ministering and living in and around the region of Galilee. This is a true statement about Jesus. But David Turner points out that while it's true, it's not adequate. Right? It's a true statement about who he is, but it really doesn't reflect the totality of who Jesus is, especially the totality of who he is, in light of the exact story that we've read in the passage uh, that we've just looked at. Really, the event that they've just seen. Jesus is the prophet from Nazareth, of Galilee, but he's so much more than that. And so we turn back to the opening verses to see the answer to the question in a little bit more of a fuller sense for us this morning. And I hope today that you would have a fuller understanding of who Jesus is today. That's it. Okay? Fuller understanding. What was the sermon about today? It was about who Jesus is. We looked at who Jesus is this morning, and hopefully you have a fuller answer. Maybe you're going to hear something for the first time this morning. I didn't know that about Jesus. Or maybe you said, yeah, I, I know that, but I kind of forgot. Or, or, or I've, I've not really thought about it to the extent that it has any implication or application to my life. Really, I'm not really responding to it in any way, shape, or form. I just know that it is. So I'm hoping today that you would have a fuller understanding of who Christ is as we walk through this passage. So we see the first thing uh, about Christ's identity in the first couple verses. They're drawing near to Jerusalem. It's this holy week. He's, He's been on this journey. He comes to Bethphage near the Mount of Olives, and he sends two disciples into the village ahead of him. He says, hey, here's what I want you to do. You're going to go into the village. You're going to find a donkey I want you, and a colt. I want you to take them and bring them to me. That seems a little odd, doesn't it? 
He's going to get something that clearly, at least from a human perspective, is not his. Sounds a lot like stealing. (laughs) Right? So what is happening here? They're like, well, Jesus, don't you think the guy, like, we're just going to take his donkey? Jesus really was... Like, yeah, and if, oh, by the way, if, if, if they have any issue, here's what I want you to tell them. The Lord needs them. The Lord needs them. And Jesus, right in that moment, is making a significant statement about who he understands himself to be. Jesus sees himself as sovereign Lord, who has right to take claim over anything, anyone, at any time, go get the donkey, tell the owner, the Lord needs him. That's the ultimate trump card. Well, the Lord needs him. Okay. Mine. 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 For my use. For my purposes. And I wonder if some of us could just stop right there and, and, and just think about the significance of such a statement on Jesus' part. He is saying that he is sovereign Lord over everything Everyone at all times. Maybe I'm reading into it. But maybe not. Maybe it's something that we should consider. About our lives. In reference to who Jesus is revealing himself to be. If Jesus can take claim over everything that is rightfully his. What does that mean about our marriage? What does that mean about our work? What does that mean about the business that we have? What does it mean about uh, our time? You talk about a valuable commodity today. Time. We're all scratching for a little margin in life because we don't seem the most... Hey, take my money, bro. Just don't take my time. Time has become the most uh, uh, valuable commodity uh, resource that we have. What are the implications of the lordship of Christ over your time? Your Saturday. Your Sunday. Your Monday morning. What what is the significance of such a statement? The Lord needs them. This is marked for my use, for, for my glory in your life. What does this mean in reference to your mind and your thoughts and your goals, your dreams, your vision? What if this life is his? Jesus is sovereign Lord. Your money, your time, your identity. Jesus is sovereign Lord, and he takes claim to what is rightfully his. Now understand this, we don't like that. There's something inherent in our nature to push back on authority, especially in the world in which we live today. What authority really would we submit to and trust? We would easily just mark out certain aspects of our lives, surely, as mine rather than his. But Jesus says, Sovereign Lord. And understand this is good. Again, we typically don't see authority as good, it's bad, it's to be resisted. But the authority, And the sovereign lordship of Jesus is good news for the world because he's a good Lord and his purposes are good. And the way that he uses his authority brings about our good. 
Why is he getting the donkey? He's taking claim to something that's rightfully his because they're playing a part in him revealing himself to the world in such a way that we know that at the end of this week, he will redeem the world. It's for our good that he takes claim over everything and everyone. It's good. Not only that, he's the promised king. Look at verses 4 and following. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you. Jesus is sovereign Lord, but Jesus is also promised king. Don't miss that. Jesus is promised king. This verse is taken from Zechariah 9.9. 550 years or so earlier, in the midst of a time where the people of Israel had returned back, to their home, but they were still living under the tyranny and the oppression of a pagan king that did not honor the Lord. And so in the midst of that distress, in the midst of that hopelessness, in the midst of them being under the the tyranny of a pagan king, subject to his rule, God speaks a word of hope and promise to his people. He's like, listen, That's not your king. I'm going to send your king to you. And so Jesus doing this is fulfilling what Zechariah 9.9 promised. Jesus comes as God's king. That's who Jesus is. Jesus is the promised king. And the way that he comes as king to the city is different than we might expect. Because if you have just returned from battle and achieved victory, and you're coming to claim your throne in the midst of the celebrations of the people, guess what? You're coming on a very strong, tall, majestic horse. And you are galloping into the city with great pride and joy amongst the people. Look at how strong I am. Look at what I've done for you. But we see that Jesus comes as king, a very different kind of king, and thus a very different kind of approach. He comes on a donkey? Really? Your king is coming to you. Yay, he's on a donkey. Right? But what is the significance of that? Well, this is what is promised, not just that a king would come, but the way this king would come, humbly, not proud, humbly, meek. Why? The posture of a servant. That's his rule and his reign. That's his kingdom. His kingdom is one marked by humility. He assumes his throne through servitude and sacrifice. He's unlike any other king the world has seen, which is why the promise of such a king brings about such hope and joy for us. Because he comes humbly. He comes as servant, just like Zechariah had promised. But not only that, verses 8 and 9 tell us that he's not just the sovereign Lord, he's not just the promised king, but he is the long-awaited Savior. 
Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees, spread them on the road, and the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Now, when you hear the word Hosanna, some of you are thinking mid-80s Ron Cannoli. That's not what we're doing right now. You can put that CD or MP3 later at your house. We love Ron, but those days are gone. Okay, this is something more significant. Hosanna really was a cry for help. It was a prayer, a yearning, a longing, and it meant save now. That's what D.A. Carson points out in his commentary, that it means to save us. Save us now. The coming of this king, could this potentially be the long-awaited savior of the world? Could this be the Messiah, the one that God promised it would come in the line of David to save us from our enemies? And the answer is yes. Jesus is indeed that, and he's fulfilling even here this cry, this prayer of Psalm 118.26. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Save now. This anticipation of salvation. Now, some of you here today may, may not even really identify with that because you don't need any help. There's no pagan king oppressing you right now. You're doing just fine. You're living the suburban American dream. Why would you need a savior at all? I'm a decent person. I do what is right 51% of the time. Hey, if the scales tip 51, I'm good, right? You may not necessarily have in your spirit this expectation or desire. You may never be crying out, save now, God. Maybe save me from trash day. because I don't feel like taking out the trash this week. Or save me from credit card debt. I've overspent again. But what about salvation from your greatest enemy? Because for them, the nation, it was always the oppressive king. Because they missed who their greatest enemy really was. And I wonder if some of us this morning have missed that as well. It is sin, our sin, our heart that is corrupted by sin. And that we're in need of a savior. And that's why he comes humbly to serve. Not just to come with a sword to slay the nationalistic enemies of Israel. But Jesus comes as a sacrifice to save us from our real enemy. Sin and alienation from God. And so Jesus is indeed that. He is the long-awaited Savior. That's what Palm Sunday reveals to us today. And if you've forgotten, that's what Palm Sunday reminds us of today. Who Jesus is sovereign Lord, promised King, long-awaited Savior to redeem you from your sin. If you're wondering who Jesus is, that's who he is. And that's what Palm Sunday reveals and reminds us of today. So really the question is simply this. What do we do with that this morning? Because if Jesus is truly those things... There's more to our response than a head nod and a check on a census box. Yeah, I believe that. That's a reality that should be responded to. He's Lord of all. He's Lord of me. And if he's king over all creation, 
he's king over his kingdom, if he's savior, how do I respond to that? should be asking that question. But first, you should be asking, who do you say that Jesus is? Because the response is going to be tied to that. Matthew 16, Jesus asks his disciples, who do people say that I am? Well, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah. People say you're crazy. But who do you say that I am? He says to the disciples. Who do you say that I am? I think he's coming to us today. He's, who do you say that I am? Personal. This is a revelation to you. So who do you say that I am? And Peter speaks up as he often does for the disciples. He says, you're the son. You're, you're the Christ. You're the Lord, Savior, King. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus looks at him and says, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, but it was my Father in heaven. So if you're seeing who Jesus really is, it's the Father revealing it to you by his Spirit, showing you, showing you. He's calling for response. It's simple. Simple. You see so much fulfillment of promise here. You see so much credibility in God. He says, I'm going to do this. And he does it. Time and time again. I'm going to send a king. He comes. Right? I'm going to free you from your enemies. He does it. I'm going to save you from your sins. He does it. Every time God makes a promise, he keeps it. How do we respond to a God like that? How does one respond to faithfulness? Faith. Faithfulness leads to faith. You can count on God. Every time he makes a promise, he keeps it. All of the Old Testament, every promise he made is yes in Christ Jesus. Jesus is proof. Jesus is manifestation that God makes and fulfills every single one of his promises. Therefore, we respond to him for all that he is by trusting him with all that we are. That's what we do. He's worthy of your trust for all who Jesus is. He's worthy of all of your trust. That's what these three candidates did today, these three people that got baptized. They said, you know what? The Father's revealed it to me. I see who Jesus is, and he's worthy of my trust. He's shown himself to be faithful in my life. This is a work of God. So this morning, how do you respond? That's what Palm, Palm Sunday calls, awakens within us a response. And it's faith. Trust in Christ. You say, well, eh. well that means you're, you're trusting in something else, right? You're, you're, tra- well, you're going to trust in uh, something else to, to give you hope and help you survive. It's, it's going to be a substance. It's going to be entertainment. It's going to be a relationship in this world. It's going to be yourself then. You're looking at something else and you're saying, that's more worthy of my trust. That's more faithful to me. Because my whole life, time and time again, every time I've said something, I've always kept. Every time I set a goal, I've always met. I've always been sufficient in and of myself to save. 
That's silliness. But I understand you're saying, no, I would trust in something else. You can't live neutral. You're going to trust and worship something. It's ingrained in our DNA. So the question is, is it Jesus for all that he is, or is it something else that seems more worthy and credible to you? Who is Jesus? For all that he is, we trust in him. Second, if he's truly king, we submit to him. We surrender to him gladly, especially given the kind of king that he is. I trust in you, Jesus, and I will do anything you tell me to do. That's what trust looks like. Obedience, following after his ways, authority like that, a benevolent authority, calls for our total submission. So trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. But i got to just say this one last thing before we transition to communion. I think this also calls for our hope. Remember the kind of place these people were in. And we may be feeling very hopeless about certain situations in our lives this morning. I think that for all who Jesus is, we put our, he's worthy of our hope. Again, in the midst of distress, under the tyranny of a pagan king, the king came, the king came to set them free and to establish a rule over them. Such a hopeful song, Hosanna, Hosanna. We sing because of hope. We respond to Jesus with, with hope. The future is as bright as the promises of God. No matter how hard today may be, the future is as bright as the promises of God. I was in the hospital room with my grandma yesterday, and as she's struggling to breathe, I said to her, the best days are ahead. Hope in Christ. The best days are ahead. This day may be hard, but the best days are ahead. And we can hope in him because of who Christ is. Amen? And one day he'll come again as king. But next time it won't be humble Jesus on a donkey. It'll be exalted Jesus on a horse with a sword to come with the armies of heaven to slay the enemies. That is our hope. Our full and final deliverance that the humble Jesus secured in his death on the cross. Amen? For all who Jesus is, he's worthy of our trust, our obedience, and our hope. Amen? Amen. Typically, we have a prayer, then a song, then communion. Today, I'm just going to read another passage to introduce communion. We're going to come forward right out of the message. I'm sure the band will be happy about that this morning. I'm going to read to you uh, a scripture that just simply reminds us of his humble service, and his obedience to the Father. Philippians 2, 5 through 11 says this, have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself 
by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. It's this time that we each week come to the Lord's Supper, and we remember, we remember His humble, obedient sacrifice to bring about all these things that we've talked about today. Salvation from sin, the defeat of our enemies, reconciliation with God. And we come to the table looking at the elements of the bread as a symbol of his body that was broken. And we come to the cup as a symbol of his blood that was shed, the blood of the new covenant for the forgiveness of our sins. And so we come as a reminder, a revelation, and as a response to receive this great act of grace for us in Christ. Amen? So if you're here today, and you believe in Jesus Christ, you've responded to who He is with total surrender. You believe in Jesus Christ, and you have been baptized into His church. You are more than welcome to come forward to take the bread on each side here, dip it into the cup, and return to your seats on the outside as an act of remembrance of Christ's death and salvation that he's given to you. Let me pray, and I'll invite you forward. Father in heaven, we thank you for your great love for us in Christ. We thank you that you continue to reveal through your word who your son is, and that he died for us as the perfect, sufficient substitute for our sin. He was perfect in every way, and yet he endured suffering for our sake. Oh God, as we come, may we come in faith, trusting in Christ's work alone, leaving our righteousness aside and hoping for the one day that we will sit with him at his table at the heavenly wedding banquet, celebrating all of his promises fully fulfilled in his name. We ask this, of course, in his name. All God's people said, amen. Please, when you're ready, come forward, partake, and celebrate Christ's work.